My name is Fumi Hirano.、Uh, Fumi means study in Japanese.、Uh, my mom really wanted me to、uh, be successful in <laughs> academics. So, <laughs> so I'm going to tell you what I have been studying. And、uh, this is a picture of uh, uh, my, my son、uh, wrote this、uh, portrait for me. And so, if you think this looks like me, just let me know after this. Thank you. So,、um, my, this is my disclosure.、Uh, so, the, my lab has been studying the different types of diabetes, and、uh, especially、uh, Wolfram syndrome. It's a very rare genetic form of diabetes. And the idea is we may be able to understand the role of endoplasmic reticulum stress in beta cell death in type 1 and type 2, type 2 diabetes through, my study, through our study on Wolfram syndrome. So I'm gonna, I will mainly talk about Wolfram syndrome today in the context of endoplasmic reticulum stress. So, the title of my talk today is Etiology and Treatment Options for Wolfram syndrome. So, before I tell you about Wolfram syndrome, I will give you a little background about、uh, endoplasmic reticulum. So, what is、uh, endoplasmic reticulum? Endoplasmic reticulum is a cellular compartment performing many important biological functions. And these include protein folding, calcium homeostasis, redox state regulation. And life or death. So there are signaling pathways emanating from the endoplasmic reticulum controlling life and death of beta cells and other types of cells. So, clearly, because endoplasmic reticulum is a very important cellular compartment, to maintain endoplasmic reticulum homeostasis is very important for the life or death of our cells to maintain life. And so, if there is any dysregulation, it may lead to disease. So, it's very clear. Endoplasmic reticulum is a very important cellular compartment. This function can lead to disease states. And it's, you know, there are many、uh, mitochondrial dysfunction diseases. I believe there are many endoplasmic reticulum diseases. That's my concept. So, this is、uh, endoplasmic reticulum centered. Pathogenesis of diabetes. <laughs> so everything leads to endoplasmic reticulum stress. <laughs> clearly, clearly, it's not a simple disease as, as all of us know, but、uh, this is my、uh, endoplasmic reticulum centered、uh, you know, uh, view of diabetes. So, you know, iodid amyloid polypeptide, genetic, uh, genetic uh, mutations, free fatty acid, many things can. Eventually, cause endoplasmic reticulum stress. So, so I will tell you, but、uh, these, all of these are you know, complex and because all of these are complex because、uh, there are many factors、uh, involved in, in、uh, beta cell death. You know, ROS can cause endoplasmic reticulum stress, but you know, it causes other things. So, we are very interested in Wolfram syndrome because it's a genetic disease. So, single gene mutation can lead to the pathogenesis of、uh, this disease and also relatively straightforward. So, that's why, and also, so I, I believe if we understand Wolfram syndrome, we may be able to understand the role of endoplasmic reticulum stress in、uh, diabetes. So, that's my concept. So, let's 
take a look at, so because Wolfram is such a rare disease, I will tell you uh, what the Wolfram syndrome is. So these are two patients. These are two of our patients. I know them very well. And, and so Alex is a 10-year-old boy. He, he has, uh, he, he, his parents are originally from Mexico, and he developed diabetes mellitus when he was two. So then he started developing diabetes insipidus when he became seven, and then he also developed optic nerve atrophy. And he is suffering from some, some anxiety issue. So he's 10 years old, and uh, then Leah is another patient. She's 47 years old, and she developed optic nerve atrophy when she was 19, and neurological bladder 33 years old. And then she developed diabetes, it was actually gestational diabetes, and uh, she developed gestational diabetes when she was 39, and after the pregnancy she still had uh, diabetes and she became insulin dependent. So she also started developing ataxia when she got 45. So these two patients look very different, but there is something uh, in common. So diabetes meritus and optic nerve atrophy. And so these, these, these are the definition for the Wolfram syndrome. So Wolfram syndrome is defined by insulin-dependent diabetes, and in most cases, actually, antibody negative, and optic nerve atrophy. So this is Wolfram syndrome. So insulin-dependent diabetes combined with optic nerve atrophy. That was, actually, this disease was first reported in 1938 by uh, Dr. Wolfram. Then, you know, nothing happened between 1938 and 1995, but 1995, something important happened in the field of this disease. So Dr. Tim Barrett in England, he's my long-term collaborator, reported that Wolfram is a neurodegenerative disease. So patients develop diabetes and optic nerve atrophy, but many patients develop gait disturbance in their 20s to 30s. And if you look at these patients more carefully, actually they develop a gait disturbance much earlier. So Dr. Barrett discovered and reported that Wolfram is a neurodegenerative disease combined with diabetes. So our understanding on Wolfram in 1995 was like this. Insulin-dependent diabetes, optic nerve atrophy, deafness, and neurodegeneration. And so we have uh, 150 patients in our patient registry and we invite 20 to 25 patients to our uh, ERE Wolfram clinic. And these are the common challenges of the patients. So urinary tract infection because of neurogenic bladder and hyponatremia because they have both diabetes and diabetes insipidus. So it's very difficult to control the amount of desmopression. Also they have neuro, because uh, of the urinary tract problems, it's very difficult to control the amount of desmopression. And they often, most patients suffer from autonomic neuropathy, and uh, you know, some, it's very difficult for them to control their body temperature, and also um, they often uh, experience uh, their constipation. So it's a major problem. 
Headache is uh, often seen in these patients, and very often these are very sharp, uh, very sharp headache. Like uh, so, we often use carbamazepine to, to treat headache for patients in Wolfram. Anxiety is very very common. Okay, so these are the clinical challenges. I wrote about this recently. So then, the, this is the disease. It's a very difficult disease. And then in 1998, the major discovery was, uh, aha. there was a major discovery in the field. Dr. Alan Paramat at Washington University discovered a, a causative gene for Wolfram syndrome. And he named it WFS1, so Wolfram syndrome uh, 1, WFS1. So it's a major discovery. And around the same, so okay, so our understanding on Wolfram in 98 was like this. Diabetes mellitus, optic nerve atrophy, deafness, neurodegeneration, and mutations in the WFS1 gene. And this was really important because until 1998, nobody has nobody has no nobody had no idea about the pathogenesis or etiology of this disease. But because uh, Aran discovered this gene, we we could you know start. Uh, studying the pathogenesis of the disease. So that's 98. And so most patients with Wolfram carry mutations in the WFS1 gene. And most of them have autosomal recessive mutations. And however, there are several patients who have autosomal dominant mutations. And Interestingly, uh, so we have several patients. There are several actually types of uh, autosomal dominant mutations. And, and some of the mutations cause pretty early uh, onset diabetes, actually neonatal diabetes, and actually uh, congenital deafness. So it's, uh, we, we have been studying these patients together with uh, Dr. Hatta's Street group in England. And there, so and also there is, a, there is another causative gene for Wolfram, and they named it GISD2. And we don't have any patients who have uh, the mutations in WFS2. But that, okay. So prevalence is pretty, uh, one in 500,000. It's very rare disease. We call it ultra-rare disease. And both WFS1 and WFS2 genes encode uh, proteins localized to the endoplasmic reticulum. So this is a structure of WFS1 protein. And based on the structure, this is Wolfram protein is localized to the endoplasmic reticulum. It is actually transmembrane protein localized to the endoplasmic reticulum. And we came up with the, because of this, I came up with the hypothesis that Wolfram is an endoplasmic reticulum disease. That's around 2000. So our approach to understand Wolfram and develop uh, treatment for Wolfram is target common molecular pathway. So clearly, we need to understand the functions of Wolfram uh, protein. It's been very challenging. But we are trying to understand the functions of Wolfram protein as well as common molecular pathways altered by Wolfram gene mutation. So this is a summary of our recent discovery. 
So loss of function of WFS1 gene can lead to endoplasmic reticulum calcium leakage to the cytosol. We don't know the exact mechanism, but we see this in our cell models and animal models of Wolfram, which leads to cell death. And so we have been trying to understand how ER calcium leakage to the cytosol causes cell death, and so that's our, uh, that's our current study. And before, uh, so then uh, I will tell you a little bit about, you know, why we came up with the hypothesis that the loss of function of Wolfram gene can lead to uh, ER calcium leakage to the cytosol. So this was done around 2000 by my students. And this is a very simple study. We studied the expression levels of Wolfram gene under ER stress conditions caused by Safsigargan. So what is Safsigargan? Safsigargan is a drug that blocks a sucker pump localized to the endoplasmic reticulum. So if you, if when you give Safsigargan to, to the cells, ER calcium is depleted and it causes endoplasmic reticulum stress because many enzymes localized to the endoplasmic reticulum are calcium dependent. So Safsigargan treatment induces Wolfram gene expression and also the, this upregulation is actually uh, is, uh, impaired in cells lacking IRLE1 and PARC. So what these genes? So IRLE1 and PARC are also an enzyme localized to the endoplasmic reticulum and these, these, these are kinases and important for uh, maintaining endoplasmic reticulum homeostasis. Especially, these genes are important for upregulation of uh, molecular chaperones localized to the endoplasmic reticulum. So WFS1 gene expression is, upregulation is impaired in IRL1 knockout and PAC knockout cells. This is uh, very important, uh, this actually gave us very uh, important insight because this means that Wolfram gene is really involved in endoplasmic reticulum stress signaling and endoplasmic reticulum homeostasis. And we did a lot of staining uh, and uh, cellular localization assays, and we discovered that Wolfram is an endoplasmic reticulum localized protein. So that's very important study. And recently we realized that Wolfram protein is very important for ER calcium homeostasis. So this was done by uh, two fellows in my lab, Takashi Hara from uh, Daiichi Sankyo Pharmaceutical in Japan, and Jana Mahadevan is a fellow uh, who originally uh, graduated from uh, Paul Robertson's uh, lab in, in Seattle. And they discovered that loss of function of WFS1 can cause calcium depletion uh, in cells. So they developed uh, beta cell lines expressing uh, the ER calcium probe, and they could monitor ER calcium uh, concentrations using the probe. And then they realized that loss of function of WFS1 can lead to the leakage of ER calcium, so ER calcium depletion. 
So then we try to confirm this observation in, in I think these are, okay, these are neural progenitor cells derived from patient iPS cells. So we collected skin, skin samples from our patients created in uh, iPSC cells, and then we differentiated them into neural <laughs> progenitor cells. Clearly, we are trying to differentiate them into beta cells right now. So then we real discovered that we didn't look at ER calcium uh, because we couldn't put the ER, uh, probe, ER calcium probe into these cells. So we looked at cytoplasmic calcium because ER calcium leakage can potentially uh, lead to the increase in cytoplasmic calcium levels. And as, as we expected, cytoplasmic calcium levels were higher in neural progenitor cells derived from Wolfram patients' iPSC cells. So this is the summary of our discovery. So loss of function of WFS1 gene leads to calcium leakage to the cytosol, then it causes cell death. So we looked for uh, <coughs> molecules and pathways in between these two events, and we discovered a molecule called car carpain 2 So we did some proteomic study and identified carpain 2 accidentally. So what's carpain 2 carpain 2 is a calcium-dependent protease. It's been reported that carpain 2 is involved in ER stress-mediated cell death. This was reported by Junning Yuan uh, at Harvard Medical School. Then also the it, was, it has been reported that carpain 2 is involved in amyloid-mediated neuronal and beta cell death. So carpain 2 is involved in both calcium and cell death. And this is a link between the ER calcium leakage to the cytosol and cell death in Wolfram. So carpain 2 is a link between calcium leakage to the cytosol and cell death in Wolfram. So to confirm this observation, we started looking at carpain 2 activation levels in our mouse models of Wolfram. This is the most actually uh, significant result. So we created uh, different types of uh, Wolfram mouse models. And this is a brain-specific Wolfram gene knockout animals. And so how can we look at carpain 2 activation? So carpain 2 is an enzyme, and it has substrates. And one of the substrates for carpain 2 is a spectrin. So when carpain 2 is activated, spectrin is cleaved. So you see uh, smaller bands of spectrin by Western blot analysis. So there are two actually spectrin, uh, there are two bands, upper band, two smaller bands. Upper band is actually carpain 2 dependent cleavage of spectrin. Smaller one is actually uh, caspase 3 dependent cleavage. But the point is, in brain samples from brain-specific Wolfram knockout animals, Wolfram gene knockout animals, there is a significant increase in spectrum cleavage, indicating that carpain 2 is high, highly activated. <coughs> and we could confirm this observation in, uh, in neural progenitor cells derived from our patients. The difference is the is a little smaller in this, in this model, in this particular model, as compared to this, but we could still see 
the more spectrum cleavage in uh, neural progenitor cells from patients as compared to control samples. So this is what we have found. So ER endoplasmic reticulum calcium leakage to the cytosol leading to carpain 2 activation and cell death. So our strategy to uh, develop a treatment is uh, to develop a drug targeting the common molecular <coughs> pathway, which is ER calcium leakage and carpain activation. So we try to target this. So we did a very simple uh, compound screen. So we try to target calcium leakage to the cytosol because there is a very easy way to induce ER calcium leakage to the cytosol, which is subsigargan treatment. So I just talked about subsigargan. Subsigargan blocks SACA pump localized to the endoplasmic reticulum. Then ER calcium, it causes ER calcium depletion. So we did different types of, uh, we are conducting different types of screens together with uh, uh, NCATS, it's an NIH's drug development team. So we are looking for both FDA approved drugs as well as novel drugs that can control endoplasmic reticulum calcium homeostasis. So this is our simple screen done by uh, Takashi Hara from Daiichi Sankyo. So he looked for chemical, he looked for small molecules or drugs that can uh, block cell death caused by Thafsigargan. So it's a very simple screen. He treated the beta cell line with different types of compounds for 24 hours. Then he challenged these cells with Thafsigargan. Then he looked for drugs that can block Thafsigargan mediated cell death. It's very, very simple assay. And so he discovered several uh, compounds that can block Thafsigargan mediated cell death. PARP inhibitor, dantolin, NS398, this is COX inhibitor, uh, rapamycin, fam famous immunosuppressor, and pyogritazone, uh, carpine inhibitor 3, DHA, this is fish oil, and GRP1. So then we looked at ER calcium uh, level, ER calcium levels, cytoplasmic calcium levels, and uh, with different concentra concentrations of these compounds. And the best one so far is adantrine. So what is dantrine? This is a very famous drug for a board exam. So, uh, so but most, pe most, most people don't prescribe. But uh, it targets ryanodine receptor localized to the endoplasmic reticulum. And it is currently approved for uh, spasticity and also malignant hyperthermia. And for malignant hyperthermia, you have to uh, use a very high concentration. So we are interested in using low-dose dantolin for treating patients with Wolfram. So this is a scheme. So ER calcium leakage. So dantolin blocks ryanodine receptor localized to the endoplasmic reticulum. Ryanodine receptor is important for releasing calcium to the cytosol. So if you block it, you can increase, you can maintain ER calcium levels. And you can also decrease cytoplasmic calcium levels. So theoretically, in Wolfram, if you give dantrolene to Wolfram uh, 
knockout cells, you can, main, you can decrease the amount of cytoplasmic calcium levels and should be able to block cell death. That's a theory. So we did multiple experiments. So dantrolene can decrease cytoplasmic calcium levels as we expected. So RET is uh, basically y-axis is a concentration of, of cytoplasmic calcium. And the dantrolene can decrease cytoplasmic calcium levels. The spike, this, the spike at uh, 30 seconds was uh, induced by sapsi again. And so we started treating Wolfram cell models with dantrolene. So as you can see, knockdown of WFS1 gene increases cytoplasmic calcium levels. The number is higher in SIWFS1. And then dantrolene treatment could decrease cytoplasmic calcium levels. And SIWFS1 means suppression of Wolfram gene. Suppression of Wolfram gene in neuron, this is, okay. Suppression of Wolfram gene in neuronal cells could also uh, increase cytoplasmic calcium levels. And this was partially blocked by dantrolene treatment. We also looked at apoptosis, which means cell death. So knockdown of WFS1 gene induces induces cell death, which is uh, monitored by caspase 3 cleavage. caspase 3 activation is increased by knocking down WFS1. And this was decreased by uh, dantrolene treatment. So these are all, uh, and the spectrum cleavage was also blocked, both in beta cell lines and neuronal cell lines. So using dantrolene, we could block, we could, inc we could actually decrease cytoplasmic calcium levels, we could prevent cell death, and we could also prevent calpain 2 activation. So this, these are all uh, encouraging results. So we started treating our beta cell-specific knockout animals and brain-specific knockout animals with dantrolene, and it, this is ongoing. Uh, this is an ongoing study supported by uh, a Snow Foundation. It's a, it's a patient organization uh, based in St. Louis. So this is, okay. So we started treating, so beta cell specific WFS1 gene animals develop glucose intolerance. They don't develop diabetes, but they become pre-diabetic. So then we injected dantrolene five days per week and six meg per kilogram once a day, and this is ongoing study, but uh, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty actually uh, encouraging. So red is uh, animals treated with uh, basically saline, it's, it's almost like water, and the uh, green line is uh, animals treated with uh, dantrolene. And dantrolene treatment could improve glucose tolerance in beta cell specific uh, Wolfram gene knockout animals. And so, we are still uh, injecting dantrolene. After four weeks from, from now on, we will uh, dissect these animals and look at beta cell, beta cell mass and beta cell stress and other ER stress markers. So this is ongoing study. We are also injecting dantrolene into our brain-specific knockout animals. So we also created a lot of iPSC cells and we differentiated them into uh, neural progenitor cells and so neural progenitor cells from patients tend to die. So 
So unaffected proband. Proband means patient. And caspase 3 is highly activated in neural progenitor cells from patients' iPSC cells. And the dantrolene treatment could reduce this. So these are all uh, encouraging. So we are, we are really interested in dantrolene and other ER calcium modulators. So this is work in progress, uh, orphan drug designation, dose escalation studies in cells in animals, and we are very interested in conducting a, a proof of uh, principal clinical trial. So these are our work from mouse models. So we are treating these animals with dantrolene. And the potential uh, idea for the proof of concept clinical trial could be an open-level multi-center ascending dose study in children and adult patients. And we need to assess the safety and the tolerability of dantrolene low dose. And the primary endpoint is safety, but a secondary endpoint could be uh, to monitor residual beta cell functions and gait and balance test. Mini best test would be the best one, and visual acuity and color vision. So that's our plan. Then, okay, so then, you know, Wolfram is a very rare disease, but a uh, through our study on Wolfram, we can understand the contribution of endoplasmic reticulum stress in beta cell deaths in general. And our collaboration study with Francis Collins' group uh, actually identified Wolfram gene mutations in, uh, in patients with type 2 diabetes. These, most of these are dominant mutations. We published one mutation uh, recently. And we are working with uh, Emily Unanue's group. Emily is my... Uh, best friend at WashU, great immunologist. And uh, so we are also studying the contribution of ER calcium leakage to the activation of autoimmune T cells. And we just published a paper in PNAS showing that ER calcium leakage can enhance antigen, antigen presentation to our autoimmune T cells. So this is, this is almost my last slide. So, uh, ER stress, especially ER calcium leakage to the cytosol, may be, uh, may be important for beta cell death in general. So we are screening a lot of our chemical compounds that can modulate ER calcium homeostasis. So we created some assay systems, and we have uh, been uh, looking for new compounds and also compounds uh, obtained from several uh, pharmaceutical companies, including Pfizer. And we, we identified dantrolene from the very small-scale uh, screen, but we actually identified much better drugs from, from our collaboration with NIH drug development team. And so hopefully we can find uh, new drugs for Wolfram in the near future. That's our hope. And clearly, uh, this is... Uh, collaboration uh, project, so many people are involved, and actually many patient organizations are involved. And this is, this is a collaboration, so just like my sons collaborate and, you know, win the soccer game, <laughs> it's a collaboration, so many people are involved. And the Carapain 2, uh, the discovery of Carapain 2 was done by a graduate student from China, Simin Lu, and the compound screen and the also uh, animal studies 
are done by mainly Jana Mahadevan. And uh, so Wolfram Clinic is mainly uh, organized by uh, Dr. White and uh, Tammy Harsey. And Wolfram IPSC work was done by mainly these four people. And Jeff Millman just joined our institution from uh, Doug Melton's group, and he's, he's been helping us create beta cells from these IPSC cells. And the Diabetes Center has been really supportive. Uh, Diabetes Center at Washington University has been really supportive for this study, and uh, so we are conducting many animal, uh, we call it animal clinical trial, with the support from Diabetes Center. Uh, Gene Schaefer and uh, Dan Ori, Kerry Mori have been very supportive. And uh, okay, so I guess that's all. And drug development for Wolfram is a collaboration project with NIH and Ajit David Maroney, Brandon Harvey. And uh, so we are also managing our patient registry together with NIH uh, NCATS group, that's Yaha Rubinstein and Petra Kaufman have been very supportive. And clearly, Francis uh, has really helped me, you know, to connect with these people. So I always appreciate his uh, support. And funding is uh, uh, mainly from the Snow Foundation. It's a patient organization localized uh, in St. Louis. Uh, Snow Foundation has a lot of connections because, uh, so this was established by Stephanie Snowcable, whose daughter has Wolfram, and Stephanie's Brother is a, was a very famous uh, Major League Baseball player, J.T. Snow. He played for Giants for 15, uh, more than 10 years. He got Golden Glove six times. So the J.T. Snow has been really uh, helping us raise funds for Wolfram. And Stephanie's father was also a very famous football player, played for St. Louis Rams. So St. Louis Rams have been, has been really supportive. And also ADA supports our uh, clinic. And um, then Eddie White Foundation is also another patient organization. And so they also, uh, Ellie has raised money for Wolfram Research by herself. And they donated a significant amount of money for our Wolfram study. So I'd like to thank all the you know, patient organizations and my collaborators at WashU and the NIH and that's all. Thank you for your attention. Thank you so much for Thank this uh, wonderful, exciting seminar. Uh, questions? Ira? So, Fumi, uh, thanks for that uh, presentation. Um, a lot of complicated areas here, right? So, calcium homeostasis is very complicated. Right. Because I agree. All the control mechanisms, RP3 receptors, right. and so Right. Beta cell death, uh, Nemo is talking a lot about that versus the differentiation. Right. Um, and uh, so I guess my question is, you know, you moved ahead to the Dantrolene study. Um, have you had a chance to look more carefully at the mechanism of what Dantrolene is actually doing? Because you could imagine it's doing a lot of things on other cell types, let alone beta cells. So can you tell us? Any more about exactly what you think Antrolene is, is doing? So that's a good question. So it seems like the effect comes mainly from the, the Ryan, blockage of Ryanlin receptor. That's my understanding. So clearly, Dantolin is, is a so-called dirty drug. It, it seems like it has multiple 
targets, and one of the targets is ryanodine receptor localized to the sarcoplasmic reticulum. And uh, so if you block, the reason is we did a, uh, so we identified a molecule secreted from ER calcium uh, depleted cells. It's called MAMF. And uh, so we did screen based on MAMF. And so we basically screened drugs that can block MAMF secretion. And then, so we also did a Safsigagen uh, based drug screen and we identified dantolin. Then we also did a screen based on mouth secretion. And one of the drugs we found was again dantolin. So I think the effect mainly, I think, the effect mainly comes from the blockage of Ryandine receptor. I, I guess my question was that in the mouse model, for example, right. uh, I don't recall seeing insulin data, insulin secretion data, um, you know, metabolome-based assays more related to the liver. Um, right. Can you give us a sense of the sort of physiologic changes that occur in a, in a diabetic mouse with dantrolene? Right. So that's also a very uh, good question. So it's, so clearly ER calcium, the increase in the cytoplasmic calcium is the strongest activator for insulin secretion. It's very famous. So everybody knows that the increase in cytoplasmic calcium stimulates insulin secretion. That's the strongest activator for insulin secretion. That's my understanding. However, the slight chronic increase in, chronic increase in cytoplasmic calcium suppresses insulin secretion. And we, we, we found it in our cell models. And actually, Andrew Marx at Columbia University recently reported that slight increase in cytoplasmic calcium levels in his uh, ryanodine receptor mutant animals, he found uh, defects in insulin secretion. So I think slight increase in cytoplasmic calcium levels suppresses insulin secretion and also you know, activates cell death pathways. So I think if we tip the balance a little bit, I think it's beneficial, especially in patients with Wolfram or people who have dysfunctional endoplasmic reticle. So that's, a, that's very important. These are very important questions. So the natural cause of the disease, regarding the natural history of the disease, I would say each patient is different. Because as I showed in my first, first slide, the Alex developed diabetes when he was two. Leah developed diabetes when she was 39. And the female patients tend to have milder phenotypes somehow, and so we, but uh, it's very difficult to uh, predict the progression of the disease. We are trying to develop assays to assess each mutation. And uh, so we have been trying this together with uh, Hata 3's group, but it has not been successful yet. So it's very difficult to, uh, so although this is a single gene mutation, I said you know, the pathogenesis of Wolfram should be relatively straightforward because single gene mutations cause the disease, you know, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's very 
it has been very challenging. It's the quite it's the muscle involved at any point. I mean cows have muscle Yes. Right. Right. So that's also a very important question. So Wolfram gene is expressed everywhere in us, everywhere in our cells. The Wolfram gene is highly expressed in pancreatic beta cells. So if you do some staining, clearly Wolfram gene is highly expressed in pancreatic beta cells and not expressed in alpha cells. Wolfram gene expression is also very low in uh, exocrine pancreatic cells. But it's expressed in every cell, in skin cells too. And if you look at brain section, if you stay in brain uh, sections from animals, and Wolfram gene is also expressed everywhere. Highest expression is in the hippocampus, but not. But if you see patients, patients develop, you know, the the cerebellum. Uh, I'm sorry, atrophy in the cerebellum and atrophy in the brainstem. And the expression levels of Wolfram gene are not particularly high in these two parts of the brain. So it's so that's very important important question and I, I always uh, think why and I don't have the answer to that question. So, so the idea is maybe some cells are sensitive for some reason. So beta cells might are sensitive for some reason. Maybe there is a fraction beta cells should secrete huge amount of insulin which might cause, which may, you know, which may make these cells more susceptible to ER dysfunction because ER is important for you know, the, the production of uh, secretory proteins such as insulin. But, but exocrine pancreatic cells also create <laughs> a huge amount of <laughs> enzymes. So that's a, that's a long-standing question in the field. Right. 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 Yes. So I did look at pioglitazone and GLP-1, and so we looked at ER calcium homeostasis after we treated our cells with GLP-1 and pioglitazone, and we could not efficiently block the ER calcium leakage to the cytosol with these two, two drugs. So we picked dantrolin based on mechanisms, but we did inject GLP-1 into our animal models of Wolfram, and clearly we could improve beta cell function. So GLP-1 is famous uh, drug for activating beta cell survival. And so I didn't show the result, but GLP-1 injection also improved uh, glucose tolerance in our mouse model of Wolfram. And GLP-1 has been suggested to be uh, beneficial for neurodegeneration. So we, should, we may want to think about GLP-1 or DPP-4 inhibitors. Right at the beginning, you mentioned your two patients and said that it's rare or at least not common to find antibodies against sort of right. That's right. beta cell antigens. But right at the end, you said calcium leakage might enhance the surface expression of some of the immune That's right. Did you correctly? That's so right. Are you suggesting that ER stress is somehow, I mean, I find this very attractive idea, related to exposure of some of these antigens on the surface of beta cells, for example, that might make them enhance targets for the immune system? Right. So you, you are correct. So 
we tried different ER stress inducers. So we tried to study the relationship between different types of ER stress inducers and antigen, neoantigen presentation in beta cells to autoimmune T cells. And so safsigargan could, in, could induce that. Tunicamycin, another ER stress inducer, could not induce that. So it seems like the calcium, um, calcium homeostasis, dysregulated calcium homeostasis in cells can enhance the process. But we should not say, I would say, a typical canonical ER stress may not. So I think it seems like calcium <laughs> leakage to the cytosol can enhance somehow, we don't know the mechanisms, but they enhance the neoantigen presentation to autoimmune T cells. And we could block the neoantigen presentation to autoimmune T cells by dantolin and also rionodine itself, and also what, what else we tried. We, we tried calcium, also, we also tried EDTA and other calcium curators. And uh, so if you decrease cytoplasmic calcium levels, we can suppress all antigen presentation. So I would say the dysregulated calcium homeostasis is important, and so, but may not, but not typical ER stress. Yeah. People with malignant hypothermia, you know, genetically also have problems with calcium. Have you seen any data that shows diabetic phenotypes in that? That's a good question. No, I've never looked at it. That's a good question, yes. yes. Uh, So that's also a very important topic that we are currently studying. So we looked at interaction between Wolfram protein and SACA pump, IP3 receptor and rhinodine receptor. Clearly, IP3 and rhinodine are huge molecules, difficult to look at their interaction. And we could not see the interaction between SACA and WFS1 protein. But group in England, Tim Barrett's group, recently reported that Wolfram protein and the SACA pump intact in the on the endoplasmic reticulum membrane. So, so we could not, so in short, we could not see any interaction between Wolfram protein and these uh, receptors in the ER. We did find the interaction between Wolfram protein and PMCA2 expressed in, expressed in uh, cell surface. And we, we, we did immunoprecipitation assay and we could, we could confirm the interaction between Wolfram protein and PMCA2. But PMCA2 is not expressed in ER membrane. It is expressed in cell surface. So we are wondering why 
we see interaction between PMCA2 and uh, WFSN. So PMCA2 is important for releasing calcium from the cytoplasm to the extracellular matrix. So it makes sense, but uh, it doesn't make sense that ER protein and cell surface protein intact. So that's, that's our ongoing study. Yes, so clearly the, when cells undergoing ER stress in general, ER calcium leaks the cytosol, but it also affects mitochondrial calcium levels. So we, did, we recently published in Science Signaling, and uh, we showed that you know, ER calcium leakage to the cytosol, actually ER stress generally increases the mitochondrial uh, calcium levels, leading to... Uh, activation of apoptotic pathway. So ER stress or EL, uh, ER stress in general dysregulate uh, mitochondrial calcium homeostasis and we don't know the mechanisms. So I did look at it very carefully, and uh, the, so we could potentially give uh, dantolin to kids, low-dose dantolin to uh, children for long period of time. We could. Do you have any hypothesis uh, on the, the biological function of uh, WFS1 itself? And uh, is there any homologous like, genes or proteins with that protein? Right, so that's also very important. So, Wolfram protein has some homology to cell one, which is involved in, uh, involved in protein degradation. So cell one is localized to the endoplasmic reticular membrane, and it's been reported that cell one is important for the re- uh, degradation of uh, degra- the degradation of proteins, proteosome-mediated degradation. It's not easily, I guess, but uh, it's involved in protein degradation. 